Thank God. Our interest is not in things that are new, but things that are old. Things of the Bible. We go back in time so that we can know God's will. Influence. This is not difficult to understand. You know what influence is. It involves influencing other people, right? This will not be our text for the morning, but in John 21, it's interesting, verses 2 and 3, that Thomas was together with Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee and a few other disciples and Peter. And Peter said there in John 21, 2 and 3, he said, I'm going fishing. And the others said, well, I'm going to go with you. That, in a very small way, is influence. That's influence. You have things in your mind, I'm sure, that will come up where you have been influenced by others. My dad, he wore a tie every day of his life. He, was, he worked in the post office. I watched him tie a tie ever since I can remember. Now I do it naturally. I do it exactly the way he did it, and I do it without even thinking. Okay. You'll not tell my mother who is listening in right now, but I have, I have put my tie on while driving before. We want to notice about seven facts concerning influence as Christians, as Christians. About seven facts regarding influence as Christians. Okay. Number one, it's all about Christ. It is. It's all about Jesus Christ. The definition we really want to focus on for influence is this. It's the spiritual force that we use. It's the spiritual force that we exert upon another person in behalf of Jesus Christ. The spiritual force that we exert upon another person or a group of people or even a set of conditions, but we're doing it in behalf of Jesus Christ. We see Paul's words in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he says something similar in Philippians 1, 19 and 20, when he says, whether it's by my life or whether it's by my death, Christ will be magnified in my body. Whether it's by my life or by my death, Christ will be magnified in my body. And then Paul will say right after that in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's right. Our influence is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about us. Okay? And it's not, it's not really about people thinking well of us. It's not really about that. Okay? Now I know 1 Timothy 3 verse 7, and it's good scripture. 1 Timothy 3 7 says, we are to have a good report from those who are without, those in the world. But we have to do some thinking in this regard. Okay? We have to do some thinking. We know other passages say, like Galatians 1.10, Paul 
Paul says we are not in the people-pleasing business. Okay. Paul says it there in Galatians 1 and verse 10. He says, if I were to seek to please men, I could not be a servant of Christ. A servant, yes. A servant of people, yes. But seeking to please people, no. No. It's all about projecting Jesus Christ, of course. And the Lord Jesus Himself, He gives us uh, some uh, commentary on this idea. For example, in Matthew chapter 10 and 22, He says, um, All men shall hate you for My name's sake. John, uh, Matthew 10, 22. And then Jesus adds this from John 15, 18. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Jesus says in John 15, 19. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So it's not just about the fact that somebody's going to think well of me. That's not influence. Okay. Influence is so exerting ourselves in the lives of others that they will come to love our Lord Jesus Christ and want to serve Him themselves. You see. And so what we must do is to walk the walk. To walk the walk. To actually be, to be full-hearted of Jesus Christ, to be deeply rooted in Him, and not try to fake our way. We can't do that anyway. Number one, God sees all and knows all. Number two, people can see through that. Okay. We must walk the walk. Those who don't even know a lot about Scripture, they know this. They know that being a Christian is the high, highest calling that ever comes to man. They know that much. And when we're not seeking to follow Christ with all of our heart, then they can see through us, and then we'll be a bad influence upon them. But first of all, first and foremost, influence is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. Our second fact, our second fact is that influence is not neutral. Influence is not neutral. There is a, there's a segment in our society, and I think it's growing, that seem to feel that they can, in regard to influence, they can just kind of bow out. That they can occupy some kind of middle ground when it comes to influence. That, that they can just opt out of, really just opt out of life itself, you know. There's a segment in our society, and you can see it probably in your own family. I see it in my own family. But pretty much their approach to life is, 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 is work, eat, sleep, and play. Work, eat, sleep, and play. You know who I'm talking about. Whether the playing involves video games or whether it involves uh, ball games or whether it's the following of these types of things or some sort of other venue of entertainment, it's, it's work, eat, sleep, and play, and not necessarily in that order. But there's a segment in our society that feels like, well, I'm not doing you any harm. I'm not doing anybody any harm. I'm, I'm keeping to myself. 
I've got my own things. I'm not bothering anybody. But influence is not neutral, you see. We know this because of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 30. Matthew 12, verse 30. Jesus says, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Scatters abroad. And we read this morning earlier from Romans 14, 7. No one lives to himself. No one dies to himself. All in all, we belong to the Lord, especially if we are Christians, if we're following the Lord, then we belong to Him. There is no, there is no middle ground at all. Someone said it like this. We're either a blessing or we are a blot, but we're never a blank. We're either a blessing or we're a blot, but we're never. No one is a, just a blank. Okay. We are either being an influence for Christ or we're being an influence for Satan, and we must choose. Everyone must make that choice. Which brings us then to our third fact this morning, and that is influence needs to be properly motivated. It needs to be properly motivated. You know what we mean by, by motivation, but it's always good to stop and consider it just a second. My mind goes back to Sinbad. Sinbad. When I was little, we lived off the road, off, off Highway 5, but we didn't live right on Highway 5. You had to turn on a gravel road and twist your way back and get back to our place. Oftentimes, though, when I was old enough, as we would come in from somewhere like school, I would ask Mom to drop me off. When we first turned on to our gravel road, I would ask her to drop me off, just let me out of the car. I, I want to walk and meander my way from the main road back to the house. I was just a boy. Okay. And so I would get the mail, I'd get the paper, and I would just make my way, and I would visit and, and eventually make it to the house. Two doors down at the garrison's place, they had a white German shepherd by the name of Sinbad. And the name fit him perfectly. But he was never loose. He was never loose. They always had him chained up except for one day when mom let me off. And so when Sinbad came after me, I, I don't remember anything after that except that I was at my house. And my dad came running up and Sinbad eventually went back home. But my dad came up, he said these words to me, I'll never forget it. He said, if you would run like that, you'll make the basketball team. <laughs> Influence needs to be properly motivated as well. And Jesus gives us some encouraging words. He says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15, you are the aroma of Christ. And then in the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul would say in verses 2 and 3, he would say, you are, you are my letters. You are the epistles of Christ 
uh, written. Uh, and men are, are able to read you all the time. You are the epistles, the letters of Christ. So Jesus gives us some encouraging words. But Jesus also gives us words of warning that motivates us. He says there in Matthew 5, if, if the salt has lost its savor, then what happens? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. In other words, if we're not being the influence that the Lord wants us to be, judgment is coming against us. Okay, Let's just get right to it. That's what Jesus is saying. And you can imagine being laying on the ground and people just stomping all over you. Jesus is trying to picture to us that judgment is coming if we're not the proper influence. And he really drill, drills at home, drives at home. Matthew 18, beginning in verse... Um, Verse 6, okay. he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. You see, Jesus is trying to motivate us here. He does it with words of encouragement, but also with words of warning. Okay. And so therefore, he says in Matthew 18, verse 7, right after that, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. It's necessary that temptations will come, but woe to him through, him through whom the temptation comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, then you need to cut that off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter into life crippled and lame than to have two hands and two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Jesus warns us. Okay. He's trying to motivate us be the influence that he would have us to be. Now, one of the great motivations in Scripture, and we follow the Apostle Paul here, I'm thinking about Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 15. But of course, one of the great motivations in Scripture is, is the cross, is the death of Jesus. Notice Paul there in 1 Timothy 1, 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay. But if you back up, verse 14, Paul says, the grace of our God and His love was abundant in my life. Okay. Back up to verse 12 in 1 Timothy 1. He says, beforehand, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was sin, but I was convicted of my sin. Okay. Back up to verse 12, 1 Timothy 1. He says, so I thank the Lord that He has put me into His ministry. He's enabled me to be an influence. Okay. Paul's motivating factor for being an influence was right there at the cross. In another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace that was bestowed upon me wasn't bestowed upon me in vain, but I labor more abundantly than anyone else. Yet not I, but the grace of God uh, that was in me. So we've got to be properly motivated. And then our next fact is the fact that influence has great potential. We all know this. Influence has tremendous potential. It has tremendous potential for good. Tremendous potential for good. Let's just think of a couple of Bible examples. I think about Nehemiah, back in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verses 17 and 18, when the walls of Jerusalem were, were destroyed and the city was uh, in ruins. He went to the people 
He said, we are in great trouble. But he said, the hand of our God is with us. Let us rise up and build. And when Nehemiah said that, the people said, let us rise up and build. Look at the good influence, the automatic influence that Nehemiah had on that occasion. I think about Mordecai and the book of Esther and how that he found out that God's people were in tremendous trouble and he went and related that message to Esther, the queen, who finally went and related that message to the king and was able to save the people. See, there's great potential power in influence. We must never forget that. We remember Jesus talking to the woman at Jacob's well recorded for us in John 4 how that she left her water pots and she went and told, went back to her own village and told people about, about Jesus and come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they came, they came out of that village to hear Jesus and came out of those towns uh, to hear Jesus. There's great potential for good. Great potential for good. Just think about this. Suppose, suppose someone this morning decides, I am tired of fighting the world. I'm tired of fighting these worldly desires within and without. I am going to come back home to my Lord. I'm going to do that this morning. Perhaps someone here today has been thinking about that very seriously. I'm tired I'm tired of this. I'm gonna, I know I've got to give myself over to the Lord. I'm going to come back to Him today. Suppose someone does that, and suppose by them doing that, just, just suppose four others decide to do that as well. Okay. Just think about when, if those five people decided today that they were from this point on, they're going to be deeply rooted in Jesus Christ just think about how much good, how much good influence, how many people would then come to Christ because of just those five for the rest of their lives. Great potential and in influence, but also great potential for bad. See, great potential for evil with our influence. In Joshua 14, verse 8, Caleb who was a faithful spy, but he was talking about the other spies. He said, in those days when they came back with that unfaithful report, they made the heart of the people melt. They made the heart of the people melt. Joshua 14, verse 8. Those unfaithful, those 10, you remember them, Numbers 13 and 14, they came back with the unfaithful report. They said, we can't go into that land. We can't do God's will. They, made, they discouraged the people. They made their, their hearts melt. 1 Kings 11 records how that Solomon, what was he thinking? He got all these wives and they turned his heart away from the Lord and turned his heart unto idols. The influence has great potential for evil as well. Here's one verse that you'll want to mark in your Bible today, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 18. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 18. When you get there, tell me. Okay. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 18. Okay. Here it is. Wisdom. That is, wisdom that comes from God. 
is better than weapons of war. But then notice the last part of that verse. But one sinner destroys much good. Now wisdom from God is better than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much of what is good. Great potential and influence, but it can go one way or the other. Great potential. As we move on to our next fact, throw this in as well. Remember, when we are trying to influence for Christ, that can outlive us. Remember what is said about Abel in Hebrews 11 verse 4, He being dead yet speaks. Great, great potential in influence. But our next fact of influence is we've got to guard our influence. If we're going to be an influence for Jesus, we've got to guard it. You know, the smallest things in life can have the biggest influence. I read one time of a, of a baker in a small town and everywhere he went, everybody went to him for their baking goods. Everywhere he went, he had on his apron, whether he would go to the bank or go to the post office, he had on his apron, and he would leave traces of flour everywhere. He would, traces of flour everywhere. But wherever he went, people knew he had been there because he's leaving traces of flour. That's the way it should be with us. Everywhere we go, we need to leave the image of Jesus Christ. We've got to guard our influence. Every step we take creates an influence on somebody else. Not to get too George Bailey on you here, but it is now less than nine months to Christmas. It's a wonderful life. George Bailey did learn every person's life touches many other lives. But it goes the other way as well. One act of wrongdoing causes another person to do wrong. One single act of unrighteousness, one single deed of something not endorsed by Scripture can cause others to go wrong. We must guard our influence. Now, in our Bibles, we're going to be turning to Romans 1 here in just a second. But we've got to be careful. Now, I can speak about this just from what I hear. I'm not personally a lot into social media, but some of you are. And that's okay, as long as you're doing good. But we've got to be careful what we thumbs up. We've got to be careful on our likes and dislikes. We've got to be especially careful on our likes. What are we liking out there? What are we, what are we, thumb, what are we giving thumbs up to? Guys, we've got to be careful about that. You may be well-meaning and want a person to feel good about themselves in some way or another, but you can't be giving support, you can't be giving approval to things that are not 
endorsed by God Himself. Things that are unrighteous, even things that are somewhat questionable. What are you doing giving a thumbs up to that? You at least need to go study that out more. Romans 1, 31 and 32, Paul had just given a whole list of worldly sinful activities we should not be involved in, and that's bad. But then he adds this at the end, Romans 1, 32. He says it's also wrong to give approval to those who are doing the wrong. You may not step out there and want to participate in that worldliness, but if you give approval to that worldliness, then it's just as if you did that worldliness yourself. You've got to guard our influence, guys. 2 John, verses 9 through 11, John is speaking about the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. He says, If anyone does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, neither, notice this, neither bid him Godspeed. That's the same thing as Romans 1.32. Don't give your weight to that. You must guard, we must guard our influence at all costs. Summertime's coming. Thinking about guarding our influence, we've got to watch our clothes. We've got to watch our clothes. There's no reason. There's no reason not to be able to dress modestly. There's no reason for it. Remember, we begin by saying the definition is to exert influence in behalf of Christ, to exert your power, spiritual power toward another person in behalf of Christ. It's not about you. It's not about what you want to wear. It's about how does that look in regard to who you are. Of course, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 speaks of putting on modest clothing. Modest clothing. Of course, just looking at it, any old clothing doesn't work because he, he describes it here. Modest means something. Okay? Just wearing anything you want to wear is not right because it's, it's being described here by modest. Modest. Okay. If, a, if we say a person is modest, what are we saying? We're saying, well, they're reserved. They're reserved. Okay? They're not all out there. You know, there are some people who are just all out there. They, what's on their mind, you get it. Okay? What's happening in their lives, you get every detail of it. Okay? We would not call them modest in, in personality. Okay? But others are more reserved. They kind of keep things to themselves. Paul is saying our clothing must be modest. It must be reserved. Okay? And then he also says that it ought to be characterized by shamefacedness. Okay. And this, this is a good word. It comes from our older versions, but it's a better word than our newer versions in this, in this case. Shamefacedness. Think about that word. Face, shame. Face and shame. Okay. It means to draw away from anything that might be regarded as sinful. To dress in such a way that you want to dress in such a way that it would never be thought of you by just looking at your dress that somehow or another you are living for Satan. Okay. In other words, the way we dress ought to leave no doubt whatsoever on whose side we are on. 
even if it means somebody is laughing at us or mocking us or questioning us, so what? At least they'll know that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says there in 1 Timothy 2, as someone professing godliness. Okay. And so he gives us plenty of clues. There's no reason for us not to dress modest. He, he's describing it for us. And he says, and by the way, just dress as if you were professing godliness. Okay. If you're coming to church, just dress that way. Okay. If you're about to talk to somebody about eternal matters, if, about God himself, then how would you get dressed? Then go dress that way all the time. Not that hard. We must guard our influence. Next fact is the influence must be intentional. We'll speed things up here. But there are four big areas where we need to have really good influence for Christ. And it starts in the home. Home, church, community, and world. Many of you, and it's not unusual for this congregation whatsoever, many of you responded abundantly and continue to respond to the needs of brothers and sisters over in the Ukraine and Russia. But our influence must start at home, community, church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, speaking of a leader in the church, but speaking also of a mature person, Paul says, this one needs to manage his household well. Or if he cannot manage his household well, then how can he take care of the church of God? But I want you to notice there that the home and the church are two different, they're two different institutions. Okay? And it begins at home. Okay? Don't let your going to church in your mind replace all what ought to be going on at home. God expects that we are worshiping Him at home, that we are looking at His Scripture at home, that we are representing Him at home. Okay. And then we come to church and, and, and do the same thing. But it's the home. It begins in the home. Influence in the home, influence in the church, influence in our community, and influence around the world. And finally... Influence can be very special. I didn't know how else to say this, but just to say it like, like that. What I mean by this is, is this. When times of crisis comes, it comes to all of us more than once in life, maybe several times. That is our time to especially shine regard to influence. For some, they feel like that, that time, that time of crisis is a time where God is allowing me to just take a break. Just let me get off to the side here and, and take a break. But nothing could be more opposite from the truth. It is during these times of crisis that we can shine the brightest for our Lord. When crisis comes upon a follower of Christ, all the eyes of the world are upon them. The eyes of the world are on us. In fact, I'll go, this, I'll go another step with you. The world has been waiting for a crisis to come into your life 
because they want to know just how you're going to respond. They want to know just how deep does your faith run. I mean, ever since you've been out here and things have been going pretty well for you, then, okay, you're following Christ. But the world is waiting for that time of crisis to come, and then they want to see just where will you be then. And it's at that time that we need to shine the brightest we've ever shined for our Lord Jesus. It's almost as if Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, almost as if he says, bring it on. Because he had asked the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh, the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, okay, just bring the weaknesses on. If that's what it's going to take to shine Jesus brighter, just bring it on and I'll rejoice in that. Influence. So there was a family gathered and one of the older members, a lady, had passed away and many were at the funeral home and just talking really casually and talking about the, the good lady who had passed on. And a little girl spoke up and she summed it up really well. She said, it was easier to be good when she was around. It was easier to be good and she was around. Jesus expects us to go a little bit further than that. He wants us in our influence to be able to inspire others to also shine their lights and glorify our God in heaven. And this morning we're going to sing this song of encouragement Brother Paul has selected. And if there is a need, will you please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing.